now broadcasting from Suitland, Maryland, USA, Abiding Truth with Dr. McCune, an outreach of Suitland Road Baptist Church. Please visit us at www.srbcoutreach.org. And now, here's our pastor, Dr. Calvin M. McCune. Thank you for that song, Brother Clover. Grace, the grace of God. This morning's message we can title Sacrificial Service for Christ. When we serve Jesus, we must be willing to sacrifice. Until we get to that place of sacrifice, giving up, something has to be, we have to give up something to sacrifice. We give ourselves fully to him and allow him to be Lord of our lives, to be truly Lord of our lives. Let us pray. Father, thank you. Thank you, Holy Spirit. Thank you for your word. Father, please help us today to understand it, dear God. Reveal yourself, Lord Jesus, to us. Reveal Calvary in our hearts, Lord. Thank you. Speak to us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Colossians chapter 1. And we'll begin in verses 19. For it pleased the Father that in him, that is in Christ, all the fullness should dwell. Christ displays the fullness of the Father. Jesus Christ is not only Lord and Savior, he is creator God. He created everything. And by him to reconcile all things to himself. By him, whether things on earth or things in heaven, (coughs) having made peace through the blood of his cross. God created us, and God gave us this capacity, this freedom to choose. When God made Adam, he created Adam. He is absolutely perfect. But he had this ability to choose. And Adam on his own, he chose to disobey God. And when that happened, sin came upon humanity. The earth itself, the scripture says, is hurting its decaying until Christ renews the earth. And God's certain plan in place a plan of redemption to redeem us to himself. Someone had to pay for our sin, and God himself did it when he came in the person of Jesus Christ. And that's how God reconciled us to himself. And now we have peace with God through the blood of Jesus. 
Now we are experiencing that reality in our lives. And you, verses 21, Colossians 1, 21, and you, who once were alienated and enemies in your mind by wicked works, yet now he has reconciled. The good news is that while we were yet in sin, God loves us. And he sent Jesus to be our Savior. The good news is that it is God's will that everyone hears his gospel. And that when Jesus died, he did not die for some, but he died for everyone. Scripture makes that very clear. That Christ became or propitiation, but not only for ours only, but for the whole world. It is an act of grace. It's just God's grace to humanity. Christ did not die for us alone. He died for the world. And we are living with that conviction and that awareness, and yes, that testimony, that Jesus did not die for me alone, but he died for others. So therefore, as I live, I want others to hear this good news. In the body of his flesh through death, to present you holy and blameless and above reproach in his sight. When God looks at us, he sees the finished work of Jesus on Calvary's tree in our lives. That's a humbling experience. That's an experience that helps us to be thankful when we look at ourselves, we are very well aware of that sin nature. We are aware of where God brought us from. We are aware of the salvation that he has provided for us. We are aware of that moment when we put our faith in Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. Here is the good news. Why would God, it answers the question, why would God accept me in heaven? Each of us ask that question. Why would God accept me in his heaven when I die? If I were to die tomorrow, why would God accept me in his heaven? Is the question that each of us should ask. And the answer is here. Because the blood of Jesus on Calvary Street took care of my sin problem. And therefore... In the eyes of God, I stand before the Lord holy and without blame. But believers, we have to be thankful for that. We have to reflect on that and be so thankful that we are willing to say, Lord Jesus, since by your grace I am saved, and since most of the people I come in contact with in life and the job, and the streets, and grocery store, neighbors, they may not be saved. So, Father, O Holy Spirit, Lord, as you do not want them to be in hell, help me to see, dear God, and give me a love for them, that they will not be in hell. So, O dear God, here I am, I'm presenting myself to you, so that you will use me to tell them that you love them. And that means a willingness to pray that simple prayer every day to the Lord Jesus. 
and then to experience his spirit, to really truly mean it, and to really truly surrender to God. It does take an action of responsibility on our part. If indeed you continue in the faith, and indeed we are, we continue to believe that Jesus is our Savior, but not ours only, but we continue to believe that he is Savior of the world. And we are grounded and steadfast and are not moved away from the hope of the gospel, which you have heard, which we heard, which was preached. That's what it did back then. That's what we're doing today to every creature under heaven. The gospel has to go through all the world. And that is exactly what is happening, of which Paul says, I, Paul, am a minister. Not all of us are called to be pastors. Not all of us are called to be evangelists. Not all of us are called to be teachers. But all of us live with a testimony that Jesus is our Savior. As long as you come in contact with someone, you have family members and loved ones that are not saved. If you get a call that says that person died and that person doesn't know Jesus, there might be a nice person, but if they're not saved, they're in hell forever and ever. You may decide that you will have some nice things to say about them, but while you're speaking the nice things, they're in hell forever and ever. So while they are alive, it's to call them and tell them, I have a testimony to tell you that Jesus loves you and he is your savior. And you share Christ with them. So we are all called to minister the gospel, to share the gospel. It's such a blessing to live for Jesus, saints. It's such a blessing to live for Jesus. This morning I shared with you where so many pastors are being distracted. They're being attacked by the devil because the devil is bringing so many things internally within the church. Disunity, bad attitudes, problems, all those things. They're weighing heavy. And what is the devil doing? He does not want Bible teaching God-called pastors to go out and evangelize and to structure ministries with a heart of soul winning. But you have to pray for the pastors around the world. That the pastors will continue to stay in the word of God, live godly lives by the grace of God, and structure everything that they do by the grace of God and the wisdom of the Holy Spirit in the church for soul winning. A church should never say, I am maturing and growing in knowledge, and at the same time, I'm not evangelizing. Something is sadly wrong with that. And then Paul, and then here Paul says in verse 24, I now rejoice in my suffering. Yes, we will suffer. Now, we cannot compare ourselves in this part of the world with the church in the 2040 window. They're enduring suffering, but they're enduring the outpouring of the Holy Ghost as the, the early church in the first 100 years or 200 years of the church. But we have to pray for them. But when we do endure situations of hardship, we must rejoice in it. How can we rejoice through hardship? Because we know it's not about us, it's about Jesus. That's how we rejoice in it. And fill up in my flesh what is lacking in the affliction of Christ. 
for the sake of his body, which is the church. Suffering, when, it's, when we endure it with our focus on Jesus, the Holy Spirit strengthens us. He strengthens us spiritually, and he strengthens us to endure it. That is what it is, God is saying here. God is also letting us know that there is, in a sense, the local body, the local assembly, like this church. But Christ is telling us here in his word that we should never lose sight of the church. All believers around the world, all believers belong to Jesus. And that's the true church of Christ, of which I became a minister according to the stewardship from God, which, has given, which was given to me for you to fulfill the word of God. More than 30 years ago, the Lord called me to be a pastor. That pastorate, the Holy Spirit said, is a gift from the Holy Spirit. I have no choice but to teach God's word and depend on the Holy Spirit to help me to do that. And that's exactly what I have been doing by the grace of God. I also, it's not sufficient for me to teach the word of God. For if I say this is what the word of God says, and I don't do what the word of God says, then I would be a hypocrite. This is why we go out, and I go out, and have been going out for the last 30 years, evangelizing, not only here in our country, but countries around the world, like we did a few months ago in South Africa. Why? Because God expects that of me. And I have a responsibility to live my life in a way that is pleasing to God. That's just my responsibility. And so all of us have that responsibility to fulfill the word of God. What does it mean to fulfill the word of God? It simply means that we come to church, we come to Bible study, we hear what the Word of God says, and then we say, Oh, Holy Spirit, help me not only to be a hearer, but to be a doer of the Word of God. Amen. Help, Lord, what you want me to understand from your Word. Let it come to pass in my life, Lord Jesus. The mystery which, was, which had been hidden from ages and from generations, but now has been revealed to all to his saints. What is that mystery? The mystery is the gospel message. That Jesus loves the world. Jesus loves the world. To them, God will to make known what are the riches of the glory of his mystery among the church, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Him we preach. We preach Jesus and him crucified. Christianity is not a religion. Christianity carries a message that God loves you. It's a relationship with God. And our focus is on Jesus. Why, you know, the church today and believers can become so distracted about their personal life. In life, we're always coming out of a problem or getting into a problem. Now, we have two things. There are two ways we can go. We can either focus on those problems until we get old, if we get old, and we die. And that will not benefit any unbeliever whatsoever. Or we can face the problems and say, oh dear God, there's a greater reason why I'm living. And that greater reason is to tell others, Jesus, that you die for them. Amen. And thank you, Father, for using me for that. There's an amazing thing that happened when we focus on living for the gospel. God heals us. God protects us. Amen. He may not remove all the problems in our lives, but he gives us strength to endure it. 
He helps us to go to night, go to bed at night, not determined, not with the idea that when my problem is solved, then I will have happiness. But we go to bed knowing I have a joy in my heart because I'm living to tell others about Jesus, even though I'm still being confronted with that problem. In other words, we go to bed knowing that that problem is in God's hands. It is God's problem. It is not my problem. My responsibility is to live for Jesus. Him we preach, and we have to, warning every man, that's what we have to do, and teaching every man in all wisdom, that we may present every man perfect in Christ Jesus. Every person you know, we have to warn them. Every person you know, we have to tell them about the salvation that Jesus provided. And when they come to Jesus, that's where they experience that perfection in Christ. To this end, I also labor. We have to labor. All of us have to labor. God did not give you your job, your place of your job, just to get an income until we get old and we die. He placed you there. That job is your mission field. Don't run away from it. Thank God for it. When he wants to move you out from there, he will, because your life belongs to him. Don't just go in and exist and say, oh, dear God, I'll come in here, keep my mouth shut, say nothing, do nothing, and wait until retirement. He says, oh, dear God, while I'm here, Jesus, they may, they may have a, a, a position that says you cannot evangelize, you cannot spread your religion. That may be so. But when we ask, oh, Holy Spirit, here is what always happens, always. God would lead that unbeliever to come to us and to say, tell me about your Jesus. But if we stay home and do nothing, or if we go, well, actually staying home is just as bad as going and doing nothing. So we want to go and tell others about Jesus. Because we must labor for everyone. I was once in that life, and there's nothing wrong with it. There's nothing wrong in having a career and teaching. But God called me out of that. You have to labor for wherever God has you. Trust me and trust God. God could have chosen to supply your income, the heat for your houses during this wintertime, any other way. He has a million ways of doing it. But he put you there among unbelievers because Jesus died for them. You say, well, what about that supervisor that irritates my soul? He died for that person also. Stop complaining to God about that person. Start praying for that person's soul. That person has a bigger problem than you being there. That person has a problem concerning eternal life. And you're the only hope for them. You're the only one with this mystery, this gospel. If you don't love them, who will? If you don't tell them about Jesus, who will? You say, God, but it's tough, Father. How can I love someone who comes to work, it seems like to irritate my soul every day. But you say, thank you, Jesus. If the Lord Jesus can love us, then he can love everyone. And so we go with that, with that in our heart. To this end, we must have an end, a purpose in life, don't we? To this end, I labor and we have to labor. Striving. You must press on. Striving according to his working, which works in me mightily. And God is working in us. Oh, child of God. It's a simple thing, isn't it? 
Are we living for ourselves and saying we are living for Jesus? Or are we living for Jesus by living for others? The church is the only body that when we grow spiritually, it is never for our benefit. It's for those who are non-members. We don't grow spiritually for our own benefit. We grow spiritually for the benefit of non-members. We want to grow spiritually for our benefit. Find a country club, not a church. The church of Jesus means as we grow spiritually, it is for non-members. We go out there and we labor that non-members will come to Jesus. Oh, we praise God. There is something in the soul when we live for Jesus. Now, before I close this message today, I want to share something that God placed on my heart. And Brother Clover, I thank you for that song because that song goes right along with what I'm about to share. It's the whole issue of grace as it relates to Jesus. Many a times the devil puts in the mind of God's children, even when we pray for believers, it is as though when they're not saved, we see grace. When they're not saved, we say, oh dear God, by your grace, save them. But now they're saved. And they're struggling. Instead of recognizing grace, we judge them. We set up our own moral standards. We try to say to them, now I condemn you. Instead of praying, dear God, nothing shall separate them from your love. Even they themselves. Even dear God, when they're rebelling against you. Because that sin in their lives, dear God, grace will much more abound. So when we pray for God's children, and I'm talking about God's children, we must remember this grace of God. And that's what Paul is saying here. It's the grace of God that saves us and the grace of God as we pray for God's children. Just as we don't condemn unbelievers, we should not be condemning God's children. See a child of God struggling, just like God did not give up on us. We have no business giving up on what God owns, and God owns that child of God. And we have to be praying God's grace. We say, well, how come they're doing this and doing that and doing the other? We cannot even understand our own heart. How much less we can understand somebody else's heart and their struggle. We have to appeal to God and the mercy of God, the grace of God to help them. And then God will help them. Many a times when I see God's children behaving in that manner, I would ask them, are you evangelizing? No. Well, how can you pray for someone to get it right with God when you don't have it right with God? But if you go out and evangelize and the Holy Ghost empower you, oh, I assure you that you will have such a heart of sympathy and love. And you'll ask the Holy Ghost to help you to love that person and pray the grace of God in that person's life. One of the biggest problems today among God's children in the church, especially in all parts of the world, is this. There's so much judgmental attitude going on around God's people. We do find many a times as far as the gospel, we say, yes, come to Jesus. 
because you're a sinner, you belong to another religion, you need to hear the truth. But then when they come to Jesus, instead of taking time and saying, now you have to disciple them and teach them and spend time with them and answer their questions and understand, teach them about basic things, what the Bible says, instead of doing that, they say, I have a personal standard and you have to come up to my standard. That's not grace, saints. There is no standard in grace. Standard says, while you were yet in sin, Jesus died for you. Jesus became the standard. The Father is satisfied with the Son. And he says to us that we have to put our faith in him. Now there are those who will get this idea in their mind, which is from Satan himself, that now that you're saved, you can live however you want. God, for those who are thinking that way, that's from the devil. Because the question is, should I sin that grace may abound? And God give you the answer. Don't confuse it. It's very simple. What did he say? Certainly not. So what do you do to stop sinning? You say, Father, by your grace, keep me at the cross. Are you following that? You don't confuse those issues. Once we start to confuse it, then we dismiss grace. We dismiss grace, and so we have to be careful. So I leave this thought with you today. Be careful when we deal with God's children. Be careful when we deal with those for whom Jesus died, and he died for the whole world. Be careful how we deal with others. We, as God showed grace and mercy to us, we should also respond to others with grace and mercy. Let us pray. Father, thank you, Jesus. Thank you, God, for your word. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Now, Father, for those who are listening in, we ask, Lord, for their salvation. The truth is, to those who are listening to this message, Jesus loves you. He loves you. He is God, and he loves you. And he went to the cross and he died for you. You say, I don't understand all of it, preacher. You're right. None of us would. But he loves you. You say, but I belong to a different religion. He loves you. And he does not want you to spend eternity in hell. He has reconciled your relationship with God. All you need to do is to believe that Jesus paid the price for your sin on Calvary's tree. And when you do that, you are, you are indeed accepting him as your savior. Thank you, Jesus. So, Father, we pray for that person who at my voice, that person is hearing your glorious gospel message. Thank you, Jesus. Pray for their soul. Bring them to you, Lord Jesus, right now. In the name of Jesus, Father. Touch their hearts as they crowd that person, as they crowd to you, Jesus, and says, Lord Jesus, thank you. Thank you. I am calling upon you, and I am believing this truth, that you are my Savior, because I need a Savior. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Father. And for we who are saved, God, thank you for your word today. Your word will not return void, dear God. You have a reason why you allow us to hear this truth today, Lord Jesus. 
Thank you, Father. We love you, Lord. We give you praise and thanks. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name we pray. And we all say, Amen. Amen.